0: Welcome to Songs of Praise from 3ABN Australia Radio.
1: my soul then sings my soul then great thou art. feel the gentle breeze. Da, 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 da then sings my soul my savior god to thee my god my soul, my Savior
2: God to thee.
0: This is Songs of Praise brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.
3: Today, yes, I'm in the glory land way. I'm in the glory land way, I mean the, the glory land way, Heaven is nearer and the way grow with clear. For I'm in the glory land way. Listen to the call, the gospel call today. Get in the glory land way. Wonders come home, always to obey, For I'm in the glory land way. I'm in the glory land way. I'm in the glory land way. 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 Heaven is near and the way grow with clear, For I'm in the glory land way. rejoicing in his love. I'm in the glory land way. Soon I shall see him in that home above. Oh, I'm in the glory land way. I'm in the glory land way. I'm in the glory land way. With clear, for i mean in the glory land way.
4: Every. you.
0: listening to songs of praise.
5: Another smile, a gentle word, a second mile. I want to go where Jesus is. I must be your
2: We may always be Oh, the good are always happy And their path is ever bright Let us heed the blessed counsel Shun the wrong and love the right Always cheerful, always cheerful Sunshine all of beauty is the path of duty, cheerful we may always be, cheerful we may always, be. cheerful we may always, be. cheerful we may always.
0: Listening to 3ABN Australia Radio's Songs of Praise. thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be dismayed; for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us?
4: and the glory
0: You've been listening to Songs of Praise, a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.
6: Today, in 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading, we're continuing I Saw God's Hand by the late missionary pastor Elwin Martin. Much of the book is set in Papua New Guinea, and is broadcast with the kind permission of amazing facts.
0: Our last episode told the amazing story of how the chief of a cannibalistic village along the Tarama River had seen a man clothed in garments so bright and shining that he could not look upon them. After a number of visits, the heavenly visitor had told the chief... That on the next day, a missionary would arrive in his village and tell stories that were true. When Pastor Martin heard this story, he decided to take Haru and his family back to the chief's village to hear the story for himself. I shall never forget my first night at this village. I forbade Kaura, that's Haru's wife, and his children, to step off the boat for after all, we were among cannibals. While conducting my first meeting that night, I found it difficult to tolerate the stench of human flesh being cooked in the bamboo cooking tubes. Stench is the only word I can use, because the victims had been killed several days before, and this was the last. That night, Dorney himself told me of the bright visitor After two or three days with the Wamori people, giving three or four meetings each day, I said to Haru, How would you feel if I were to leave you to make this your base and to extend the work to other villages? Haru was jubilant. I was hoping you would ask me to stay. I told him that my plan would be to sail for home the next morning and that I would be taking Kaura and the children with me but that I would be back in six weeks. Then, if he was sure that things were all right, I would leave his wife and family with him. Haru, great man that he was, said, Master, I will do whatever you say, but I would like you to ask Kara what she wants to do. I promise not to talk to her until after you have talked to her. I went immediately to the boat to speak with Kara. I am leaving Haru here to begin work among these savage people. I am taking you and the children back with me. But in six weeks I will bring you back again. Kaura, one of God's great women, said, Master, if Haru stays, then I stay too. I sailed the next morning, leaving behind Haru and his wife and family. My work was pressing heavily upon me. I had seen my wife and family for less than two days in the past 11 or 12 weeks, and I knew that I could have only about three days at home before leaving on another patrol that would take me away for a month. Six weeks later, I was back in the Wamuri village and witnessed a marvellous transformation. They had built a new village. The old dubu was no longer used. Houses seemed to have sprung up everywhere, and a church was being built. As I sailed up to the village, I found a line of about 200 people standing side by side, dressed in new laplaps—that that is, loincloths. And Haru said, I want you to shake hands with my people. I shook hands and shook hands and shook hands. I asked Haru, how come all these new laplaps?" laps He said that he had selected twenty young men and had sent them by canoe to the mouth of the Tarama and up another river to where there was a plantation. There they worked as long as it took to earn ten or twelve lap-laps each. They then returned quickly to precede my return. Haru had not only organised the building of a new village and the purchase of new lap-laps for everyone, but he himself had visited people in all the nearby villages, and as a result of his preaching, they too were there to meet me. As soon as I found a few minutes to spare, I spoke to Dorney. "'Your people should finish with their cannibalism,' I said. "'Master, we decided to end that the first night after you left. "'We have left that forever.' "'Well,' I said,' What about the village people? Isn't it time they finished with their pigs? Dorney replied, There are no pigs left in this village. We killed them all. We won't even trade with them again. Dorney asked me whether I would baptise him while I was there. I hesitated. I told him I would be back in another six weeks. If he wanted to be baptised then, I would be glad to. I returned six weeks later, in fact three days under the six weeks. But when I arrived, Dorney was dead. He had been buried a few days before I arrived. Don't spare me, Lord, for not baptizing Dorney. I should have known better when you had sent an angel from heaven to speak to him face to face. This experience illustrates how the prayers of the boys and girls back at the mission station were being answered. Because Dorney first saw the heavenly visitor at the time the students began their prayer bands, I feel my confidence in prayer, in their prayers, is justified. The whole story certainly put me on my knees. Dorney was a man who, on his own admission, had never seen a white man before and had no contact with any mission bodies. Yet he received a lesson in health reform, kept his first seventh-day Sabbath and learned about tithing before we arrived. Do you wonder that the Master has a thousand ways of finishing the work that we know nothing about? Some years later, when the work was well established on the Tarama River area, All cannibalism was gone. Haru, too, sailed out into the sunset, leaving many sad, lonely hearts and tear-drenched eyes behind. Why the master permitted Dorney and Haru to sleep, I cannot quite understand. But the impact of his witness through them will never die. Haru and Dorney, without a doubt, were the two most unforgettable characters— I have ever met, and I long with all my heart for the day when it will be my privilege to introduce you to Haru and Dorney, in God's wonderful kingdom, where we will never part again. Chapter 15, Shallow Graves and Burning Tears Could it be that missionaries on furlough from the South Sea Islands give the impression in their mission stories that all is smooth sailing and that skies are always blue. Naturally, when we tell of God's work, we like to dwell on the highlights and tell of progress. But there are times when missionaries' eyes are filled with burning tears. Those who have worked in difficult areas, especially opening up work among primitive people, face challenges and obstacles at every turn. They draw very close to the Master, and He draws close to them. When the nearest human help is many hours, in some cases many days, away, one learns to lean heavily on the everlasting arms. It could be said that we pray without ceasing. To pray without ceasing does not mean that we are continually on our knees, but it does mean being continually in conversation with our Lord. When the way is hard with a nameless dread and fear, one learns to spend more and more time in direct communication, in walking almost hand in hand with God. Skies are not always blue. Seas are not always smooth. Sometimes dark clouds block out the sunshine. Sometimes darkness deepens. Sometimes tear-dimmed eyes find it hard to see that behind the clouds, the sun still shines. I want to tell you of one such dark and trying experience. For a number of years, the workers in Papua had felt the need of a more representative church building in Port Moresby. Eventually, plans were completed and financing arranged for the building of a church near our Port Moresby headquarters on Ella Beach. The mission committee selected me to take charge of the building programme. My enthusiasm was less than complete because I felt that the load I was already carrying was too heavy. Some relief came when the leaders decided that all the outstationed teachers should be brought in to the Bautama School for a refresher course. That meant not only the teachers from my field, but also the teachers from the Central Papuan Mission and those from Pastor E.C. Lemke's far western field. In order to begin the building project and gain as much time as possible, the committee decided that Pastor Lemke would pick up and bring in all my outstation teachers. This caused me some concern, For although he had been around the field with me on occasion, there were many dangerous waters that he knew little or nothing about. However, it was a committee action, so I threw the whole of my weight into the building of the Port Moresby Church. My team of Papuan men worked long hours, and the building soon began to take shape. We had been working for about three hours on New Year's Day, a Wednesday, When Pastor C.E. Mitchell, President of the Papuan Mission, which included my field, came hurrying to the building site with a pained expression on his face. I have bad news for you. The Lauhini, Pastor Lemke's boat, caught fire in the Tarama River. He is still alive and also the baby, but it is feared that Mrs. Lemke and the two older boys are lost. He told me that the government was providing a mercy flight in a Catalina flying boat to pick up Pastor Lemke and the baby and that he had been invited to accompany the flight crew on the trip. Later I was able to piece the story together. Pastor Lemke, his wife Dell, and their three little boys had dropped anchor on Saturday night just a short run from the village described by Pastor Koivy as the most heathen he had seen and where they had spent the sabbath they had sent a number of the teachers ashore to sleep for the night because there were too many people to sleep comfortably on the lahini soon after dawn when the teachers had returned to the boat pastor lemke still in his night attire stepped into the wheelhouse and pressed the starter button for the motor the motor apparently backfired through the carburettor and in moments the boat was on fire from end to end. Then there was a terrible explosion and most of the passengers were thrown to the water. The mission had just recently purchased the Lauhini, a good boat. The only drawback was that it had a petrol motor. However, negotiations were underway to have a new diesel engine fitted as soon as we could purchase one. Apparently, when the anchor was dropped on Saturday night and the motor turned off, the carburettor flooded and benzene ran out of it all night. My guess is that the benzene spread all over the bilge water. When the carburettor backfired, the benzene on the bilge water caught fire from end to end of the ship in a flash. "'Pastor Lemke dashed into the cabin "'and hurriedly got his wife and three children onto the back deck "'where several boys were trying frantically to untie the dinghy "'and get it into the water. "'In haste they pushed the dinghy's end under the water "'and filled the dinghy. "'It was swept away and both oars were lost. "'Neither Mrs Lemke nor the boys were able to swim. "'As the flames leaped around them, "'they joined hands and jumped into the water. "'Needless to say,' They were separated almost immediately by the flowing muddy waters. To be continued.
6: Tune in again next week for the next episode of I Saw God's Hand, written by Elwyn Martin and read by Alan Lindsay.
0: Listen to William Ackland as he shares a psalm from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift.
7: Psalm 52 is a contemplation of David in the matter of Doeg, Saul, and Ahimelech. And the thought of this psalm is the destiny of the wicked and the serenity of the godly. Why do you pride yourself in evil, you mighty man? It is God's goodness that lasts forever. Your tongue speaks things that destroy and is just like a sharp razor working behind the scenes. You love what is evil and not what is good. You love lying rather than speaking the truth. You love words that destroy a person. You have a deceitful tongue. Because of this, God will destroy you so you will not rise again. He will take you away, and you will be powerless to stop him. He will pluck you out of your house, out of the place where you live, and you will never be seen in the land of the living. The righteous will see this in fear. He will laugh at him and say, Here is the man who did not depend upon God, but instead trusted in his great wealth, which entrenched him in his evil ways. But I am like a flourishing olive tree in the house of God. I will trust in God's mercy every day of my life. I will praise you, O Lord, for forever and ever for all the wonderful things you have done in the congregation of your saints. I will wait upon you, for your name is better than gold.